We're moving forward in this Leviticus series. I hope you've enjoyed it. And may I say, I hope you've also been joining us on our Bible Engagement app. It has been live now for a week, and we'd love for you to engage with us. We want to be on this journey together through the book of Leviticus. And so you, if anything, you've only missed three days. And so there's still so much time for you to recover if you haven't started yet. And so why don't you download that app today, and we'd love to have you join the journey. We're going to make it all the way to the end of the book of Leviticus. Don't give up midway. We're going to make it all the way. So this morning, uh, I'm going to share a message with you. Last week, I shared about having assurance. This week, I want to share with you about making restitution. And the scripture that uh, we're going to read together in one voice this morning comes from Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word, making restitution here. We're going to read these seven verses beginning at Leviticus chapter 6. The Lord said to Moses, If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them or left in their care or about something stolen, or if they cheat their neighbor, or if they find lost property and lie about it, or if they swear falsely about any such sin that people may commit, when they sin in any of these ways and realize their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion or what was entrusted to them or the lost property they found or whatever it was they swore falsely about. They must make restitution in full, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the owner on the day they present their guilt offering. And as a penalty, they must bring to the priest, that is, to the Lord, their guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect, and of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them before the Lord, and they will be forgiven for any of the things they did that made them guilty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word for Leviticus chapter 6. And once again, Lord, we come before you asking that you would teach us. Leviticus is a heavy book, Lord, filled with lots of laws and many details. But God, I believe that even though the law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, there are still life principles for us to learn in this book. It is not uh, something we should avoid. It's not something we should neglect. We should study the scripture diligently and look, Lord, for things that we can apply to our lives today. So, Father, I pray that you give us understanding. Help us to be able to look deep into our hearts. Oh, God, this morning, I believe you want to do heart surgery in this place. You want to look to the deepest places of us. You want to unearth some things that might not be so comfortable. And yet, with your Holy Spirit, you're going to allow us to process these things together. So, Father, I pray that you'd lead us and guide us in the scripture and the preaching of your word. I look to you for help and for strength to do this with boldness, God, to preach the word unashamedly, Lord, to your people. And so, Father, we believe in the whole body of scripture. We believe in the whole counsel of God's word. It is to speak to us today. And so, Father, would you add your blessing to the word as it's preached? In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. amen. You may be seated. In 2019, Kylie and I, my wife, we purchased some flights for a vacation. And like many of you, never ever did we realize that our travel plans would be interrupted by this global pandemic. 
All the call centers were refusing to take calls as many people were trying to cancel their flights or reschedule their flights. After multiple calls and hours and hours on the phone waiting, you know that sound or that song they play and you have to sit there and wait? Being transferred from department to department, I finally reached an airline agent who could process my refund. And then to our surprise, this airline told us that they were not processing refunds at this time, but only providing vouchers with flight credit. Okay, uh, we were disappointed because we knew that the reality was that we would not be able to travel anytime soon internationally. But we received our flight vouchers, and then all of a sudden we noticed something. We noticed that we were given more money than we had spent. A bonus of 20% or one-fifth of the value was added to make restitution for the money that was already withdrawn and deposited from my credit card to their account for their unwillingness to refund the money back to me. And while this was not ideal, I would have loved to receive that money back and then I could have done otherwise, I did feel that I was given fair compensation for the inconvenience. 20%, not bad. And with this additional 20%, whenever we would go to rebook, we would be able to upgrade for better seats, more comfort, maybe check baggage, all those kinds of perks. But Kylie and I, we ended up rebooking a few months ago our flight about one and a half years later. And in 2022, we look forward to traveling on March break to go visit that country and have a time away. But the reason why I share this story with you today is because the principle that the airlines used is actually one we find in the scripture. It's one we find in Leviticus. It is restitution. In fact, I even think that God allowed me to go through this whole ordeal, all this trouble, just so that I could better understand this biblical concept, and then I could illustrate it to you so that you may understand it as well. See, the concept of restitution is still very important for us because I believe there may be some things in our lives for which we have not, not yet made restitution. And now you might say to me, Pastor, this is the Old Testament law. We are freed from these rules and regulations. And to you, I say, amen. Yes, 100%. And while that is theologically true, let me also add, there remains valuable principles in Leviticus that we need to carefully study and consider. For if we do not make restitution with our brothers and sisters, how can we expect to be in right relationship with our God? So this morning, I want to share three reasons why you and I may need to make restitution today based on Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. And the first point this morning is unfaithfulness to the Lord. That we would be unfaithful to the Lord if we don't make restitution. The scripture said at the beginning of verse 2, if anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord. See, restitution is based on a failure to uphold the eighth commandment. In Exodus 20, verse 15, God outlined and Moses recorded on tablets, you shall not steal. And this pertains to all things, both big things and even the oh-so-small things. There are multiple forms of theft. There is to steal, to extort, to lose and wrongly find, to borrow and not return. And it can range from pocketing a pen. Have you ever done that before? 
or taking money from a purse. I remember as a little boy taking pennies from my mom's purse so that I could make one of those fillers of 50 cents. Oh, yeah. I confess, Mom, you're probably watching. We don't use pennies anymore, but hey. Maybe it's money laundering. (laughs) Maybe even tax evasion. There's all sorts of things that we could do with money. And not only is theft a criminal offense, it is a criminal offense, but it's a spiritual offense. Theft is not just a criminal, it's not a a pity little thing. It's not nothing of insignificance. It's something of significance to God. It's a spiritual offense. Now let's get personal for a moment. As if theft took place between two people, you might think you might have hurt a person or a group of people, but you need to know today that you have first and foremost offended the Lord your God. King David, he gives us insight into this when in Psalm 51 verse 4, he penned these words, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Against you and you only. Did you hear that? This is not David's denial of having done wrong towards Uriah or Bathsheba. It is his realization of how his relationship with God was impacted by his murder and his adultery. We have foolishly convinced ourselves that we can wrong others and yet still be in right relationship with God. It doesn't work that way. See, restitution is focused on satisfaction. According to Gordon J. Wenham, an Old Testament commentator, he says this, the reparation offering draws attention to the fact that sin has both a social and a spiritual dimension. It not only affects our relationship with our neighbor, it affects our creator. It influences our relationship vertically with God as well as horizontally with our fellow man. So we cannot ignore the fact that there are practical dimensions to our forgiveness. It doesn't just happen in our heart. It must flow out of our heart and become tangible. We cannot just ask God, just forgive me, God, for stealing. Our confession must lead us to action. So what do we do when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit? And let me just say that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is a very good thing. It's not something to be avoided. What do we do when the Holy Spirit convicts us and reveals those things and makes us uncomfortable about our sin and we realize our guilt and our shame? We need to go to the person that we've wronged. And then how do we make restitution if the person we wronged has passed away? Well, Numbers 5 verse 8 address this case for us and there is still something that can be done in this scenario. And the scripture says, but if that person has no close relative to whom restitution can be made for the wrong, the restitution belongs to the Lord and must be given to the priest along with the ram with, with, in, with which atonement is made for the wrongdoer. See, from a practical standpoint, if we cannot make restitution with the person, we must be in search for their next of kin, for a wife, a husband, a son, or a daughter, a father, or a mother, or a grandchild, somebody. And in the most of extreme cases, if we cannot find someone, then we are to bring our restitution to the Lord. Now, in this text, God explicitly mentioned the priest, but I'm not interpreting the scripture to mean that you you need to bring it to your pastor. In fact, I don't want it. You keep it. 
You can make your restitution by giving to the church, but I want you to know that God through Christ has already made atonement for your sin. So while you might need to make restitution, you do not need to make atonement. You need to accept the atonement of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that last week with the lamb, Ginger. You see, God does not want you to walk around feeling guilty for the rest of your life. I see so many people, so many Christians walking around with this guilt trip. They live and walk around with the past all over them, weighing upon them, and they struggle to get free from that. But I believe that God wants to set you free today. He whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. So Christ has set us free, and we may need to cooperate with Christ by making restitution in order to make wrong things right. Second point this morning is deceitful to your neighbor, verses 2 to 3. And the scripture says, by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them or left in their care or about something stolen or if they cheat their neighbor or if they find lost property and lie about it, or if they swear falsely about any such sin that people may commit. Not only can a person be guilty of unfaithfulness to our God, they can also be guilty of deception towards their neighbor. And this results in our loss of integrity, the deficiency of our character, and our disrepute in the public realm. And this calls into question both our word and our deed, what was said and what was done. See, many thefts are deeds that are done in the dark. They are deeds done in secret, hidden from people, but they can never be hidden from the eyes of God. You need to know today that you might be able to fool people, but you can't fool God. His eyes are always upon you. And many people, they make oaths in the name of God or they make vows before God that they don't really mean and they never fulfill. In other words, to swear falsely was to bear false witness. And that was the infraction of the ninth commandment. Once you break one commandment, here's the propensity. You start to break all the commandments. Jesus, he does something so profound with the commandments of Exodus and the policy and the procedures of Leviticus in the New Testament. And Jesus, he reinterpreted everything and then he distilled it into two commandments in Mark 12, 29 to 31. And listen to what he says, the most important one. Take note, here's the first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And get ready for this one, with all your strength. No biceps here. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Huh, now we hear love your neighbor. That's good. But love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. And according to Jesus, our need to make restitution means that we have actually broken the second most important law which as we also learned earlier means that we have already broken the first important law and we have offended God. So we have not only offended people, we have offended God. And I wonder if this is true of us. Is this true of you? Is this true of me? For Jesus has set a high standard for us when it comes to our relationships with our neighbors. And the way we love our neighbor, friends, is a reflection on how much we really love ourselves. 
You love yourself. Loving yourself is good. You need to self-care. You need to love yourself. You need to have good self-esteem. You need to see yourself and your identity through Jesus Christ. That's all good. But you need to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. See, if you would not do it to yourself, you should not do it to others. And if you would not say it to yourself, you should not say it to others. For if we claim to be Christians and yet we have deceit in our hearts, we will eventually experience one of two things or even two things. First, we will experience a lack of peace. When you have this sort of stuff happening in your life, you will experience the absence of peace. You see, this will lead to a restlessness and a sleeplessness. What is restlessness? It's throughout the day. It's like fidgeting and you can't have your mind clear and you're stressed. And then sleeplessness, even when you're asleep, you can't have good rest. Anybody experienced that before? Oh, yeah. In fact, it can lead us to feeling the total absence of God. So first, we will experience a lack of peace. Second, we will experience a guilty conscience. And our sin, by default, friends, it condemns us. It tells you, you are no good. You are a failure. Look at the mistake you made. You'll never be able to restore that relationship. You're a thief and you're a liar. Like an ominous shadow, it follows us wherever we go. And therefore, there is guilt in our conscience. And that guilt in itself is a heavy weight upon our minds and upon our shoulders. And it even reveals itself through the stress in our body. But thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit who helps us by convicting us of our sin. Let me echo it one more time. The conviction of sin is not a bad thing. It's a good thing because the Holy Spirit comes and helps us process the mess. So as believers, we make every effort to make things right. Thirdly today, expensive to restore. Restitution is very expensive to restore. Verses four to six, the scripture says, when they sin in any of these ways and realize their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion or what was entrusted to them or the lost property they found or whatever it was they swore falsely about. And they must make restitution in full, adding a fifth of the value to it and give it, to, give it all to the owner on the day they present their guilt offering. And as a penalty, they must bring to the priest, that is to the Lord, their guilt offering, a rant from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value. So here we go. Now we come to the financial aspect of restitution. And first, the full amount of what was stolen, what was extorted, what was entrusted, what was found or falsely, uh, sworn falsely must be returned. And it is not a partial return of what's left. It is the full return of what it was. And there is no depreciation factored because of time that has elapsed or that you've used it for so long and it's, it's older now. Second, a fifth of the value was to be added. So there's the whole value, the entire 100% of that value plus 15%. Seems like taxation, doesn't it, in some way? 13%. But this is not interest accrued. This is the flat penalty for the sin. And when it comes to percentages in the Bible, it's important that we don't automatically associate them all together. And for example, let me touch on tithing. Of course, the pastor has to touch on tithing once in a while, right? 
See, tithing is valued at 10%, but restitution is valued at 20%. And so one is a biblical principle, while the other one is a biblical penalty. And many people who are adverse to tithing have wrongly interpreted it as a penalty. There is something faulty in our minds if we think that God has put a penalty upon us in tithing. Because tithing is not a penalty, tithing is a privilege. Robbery requires a penalty while tithing results in a blessing. And in Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 to 10, God spoke to his people through this minor prophet. And he said, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. See, some of us might not be robbing people. We might be robbing God. Scary, scary, scary. I don't want to ever rob God of anything that is due him. And there is no restitution for tithing, my friends. Just start tithing from now on. You don't have to go back and backdate everything and go through the annals of your life and go through your checkbook and through your bookkeeping and find out where you missed out. No, you just start today. You just make a difference today. You start being faithful in this moment of your life. Just start tithing now. It's not for our benefit. It's for your benefit because there's a blessing associated with tithing. See, God is not going to audit your accounts. Tithing is a principle that is built on trust. And God wants to trust you with more. So you now bring part of the tithe, bring the whole tithe to God. As an aside, one thing I have noticed is that so many people end up going to court instead of practicing biblical restitution. See, God gives us biblical principles to deal with our own mess. And yet what do we do? We take it to court and we get other people involved in our mess. You see, lawyers can make a lucrative business off of people who, don't, who do not know how to make their wrong things right. No offense to any lawyers here or listening online. God bless your business. The people instead need someone else to sort out their mess that they themselves have created. But what if, what if, just imagine with me, what if Christians made wrongs right by initiating restitution? How would that change our world? I would hypothesize that the additional 20% up front might end up being less expensive than your lawyer fees. <laughs> Seriously. For choosing restitution results in no waste of time, less waste of money, and spiritual growth. God wants you to grow. And this is one of the ways God would require you to grow in making restitution. Consider the words of the tax collector named Zacchaeus and his encounter with Jesus in Luke 19, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half, 50% of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back how many times? Four times the amount. Restitution was 20%. Zacchaeus promised Jesus that he would make 
Restitution to those he had cheated at 400%. That's expensive stuff. Might even make him bankrupt. But what changed in Zacchaeus' heart? Friends, one glimpse of Jesus made Zacchaeus understand that people matter way more than money. Let that get into your heart today. People matter way more than money, things of this world. This was a sign of his genuine repentance. This is why Jesus said to, of him in verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, to this tax collector's house, to this liar and cheater's house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. And here's the thing. God doesn't really need your money. He doesn't really need your money. It's not like he's depositing it in his account. Money does, however, say a lot about your heart. So he established financial, financial principles to reveal the true condition of your heart. Some people are living in a cyclical pattern. They make things right only to reoffend again and again. And this might be related to a habitual sin in your life, but the only way to break free from this is not to pay the full cost or to pay restitution, but to obey what the Apostle Paul instructed the church in Rome to do in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, the most expensive thing that you can ever give God is actually your entire self. God doesn't want just part of you. God wants all of you. As we conclude this morning as the worship team comes, I think restitution sounds like a wonderful idea if you're the recipient but a difficult idea if you're the debtor. Now would just be a great time for any of us to receive some unexpected money for something that was stolen or taken from us, the original price plus just a little bit more on top. It'd just be so perfect, wouldn't it? Think about all the things you could do with that money. Only if I had a little money in a rich man's world, right, Abba? <laughs> okay, no Abba fans, cool. See, like most concepts in Leviticus, restitution foreshadowed something. It foreshadowed the restoration that the Messiah would bring. There are many angles from which we can view the sacrificial death of Jesus beyond being substitutionary. We saw that with the sheep last week where I gave my sin and I imparted that sin to that animal and that sin would pay the price. That's what Jesus was doing for us substitutionary atonement but some of them are also transactional with a figurative financial nuance and here it is he paid the ransom that means the the barter price for our release from the grips of sin he expiated which means he canceled our record of wrongdoing he reconciled or he balanced the weighing scales of a, for our relationship with God. See, Jesus did all that was required for us to be saved and so much more. And if this is what Jesus did for you, friends, what will you do for him and what will you do for others? 
I believe that God is calling us to make our wrongs right today. Let's pray.